Hey everyone, welcome to the AI Education Conversation, where we talk AI, education, and everything in between. I'm Daniel Lopez. As we take this learning journey together, I invite you to join the conversation at the AI Ed Convo on Twitter. Let's jump in. everyone. We have a really excited episode planned for this week. And in this week's episode, we're going to jump into the big A. You know, we couldn't have an education podcast without addressing that. And finally, we're going to spend some time considering how AI will impact assessments. (laughs) So today's episode is really going to focus on that. We're going to really jump into the world of assessments and evaluation, talk about AI's potential perceived impacts there. And we're going to jump in. Uh, but before we dive fully into that conversation, as always, wanted to just share some updates from the field so you all have a sense of how AI is continuing to impact the world and field around us. Specifically in this last week, one update that I thought was very interesting was that coming from our friends down at Louisiana State University. So LSU warned students in a statement that they released last week that representing AI-generated classwork as their own could result in academic misconduct. The reason the school ended up releasing this statement, it was a warning, direct warning released to the fact that one of their star gymnasts on the LSU gymnastics team, Olivia Dunn, she ended up promoting an AI powered school automation app called Cactus AI on TikTok. And she has 7.2 million followers. So a whole lot of people saw what she had to say on TikTok. Now, specifically, After hearing about this, I did take some time to check out Cactus AI and see exactly what this was and why there may have been concerns from LSU to, you know, enough to warrant this statement that they came out with. And I can definitely see where they were coming from. When I checked out the surface of uh, Cactus AI, the interface of it, to be honest, it, it kind of affirmed a lot of educators' biggest fears as it came down to how AI may impact education and just not feeling prepared to handle those impacts. So, Initially, when you check out Cactus AI, and mind you, if you're interested in checking this out, Cactus is spelled C-A-K-T-U-S, not C-A-C-T-U-S. And when you first go onto this interface, there's a lot of features that they have there, depending on how you can use the AI for different needs that you have. Specifically, some of the ones that I noticed they had is they had one titled Paragraph Generator, which literally says, we will write paragraphs you use and that'll like captivate your readers. They also had another one that said essay writer, which essentially said the same thing. We will help you develop like really thoughtful essays that work with it. They had another one called content improver. They had another one called personal statement writer. So I didn't have the opportunity to go into full detail and play around with the tool itself to really determine if it was doing all of the writing for you without kind of like minimal critical thinking or how how those pieces felt in because there was kind of like a payment piece associated to it. And I wasn't willing to go that far, but by initial view of looking at the interface, seeing some of the tools that they had there, I I can totally understand why LSU felt the need to send out this statement. I think this, again, affirms a lot of the fears that educator has around how AI may lead to to students just generating assignments that they're not actually producing at all with like very minimal thought and working towards it that way. So I definitely understand the need for a student. LSU did also go on to say that 
they do believe that AI and other technology can for, can foster learning and creativity, um, but using AI to produce the work alone that a student then represents as one's own could result in academic misconduct. That's a little bit more specific around their statement, which again, I totally agree with that. I don't think they're going to find many folks who disagree with that thought. I think the challenge continues to be, as I've described in earlier episodes, within the timeline and the cycle of innovation for both public education, K-12 schools, as well as for higher ed, a lot of the cycle of innovation that happens for both of those organizations, entities, tends to happen during the summer. And we've obviously hit this like right at the beginning of the, the new year here since January. It is continuing to catch on like wildfire. And I would imagine there have been quite a few focus groups, crisis task task force type committees that have evolved across school institutions, school districts to be able to respond to this. But the reality is, is I, I would imagine that a lot of school districts, a lot of higher ed institutions are going to really plan to do some big deep dives on how they allow AI to be used at their institutions, whether they're syllabi and, and policies baked directly into their codes for misconduct or other things. I think a lot of that work is going to happen during the summer, which really means that we're going to be, I think, in this limbo period for the next couple of months here where situations like this pop up. We have students who are using some of these AI tools that pop up every day and using them to leverage their educational experience in the classroom. And then those potentially leading to ruptures or, you know, challenges for the school district and how the students are using them in that way. And so that I think this is going to continue to happen. My hope is that this summer we really start to see more concrete, significant policies coming out across the board for schools related to AI and its usage. The second thing I wanted to highlight today is the fact that another big player is entering the game. And, and I think this was expected knowing that Google, as we all know, released their learning language, their large language model, BARD, and you know had their model a couple of weeks ago. But now YouTube uh, also came out, which is you know a, a product that is in kind of the portfolio of the, the Alphabet or the Google companies here. YouTube also made an announcement last week that they are planning to add generative AI tools to make it easier for creators to do things such as virtual outfit swaps, create and enhance their backgrounds. And then they also mentioned that more tools are going to be on the way. So we don't exactly know yet what these tools are going to be look like. YouTube made this as an announcement, but they didn't do too much demonstration pieces of this. So we'll have to see, you know, what all of these tools fully look like when they're out. But I personally think it's just a big win for AI in the sense that very similar to the, the Roblox conversation we had a couple of weeks ago, my experience just having conversations with educators in schools, as well as some students is I don't actually believe that many students in particular in middle and high school settings are actually using AI tools currently. I think that very innovative high schools, very affluent school districts, as well as higher education institutions are using some of these tools, are aware of these tools, but I believe that in particular for a lot of large urban, lower income school districts, first generation schools that are serving large generation or first generation students, I don't actually know that they're using these tools in the same way. That being said, I think as tools like Roblox or YouTube start to add some of these generative AI tools that essentially allow you to do some of the same types of things that you would be using on a chat GPT or a place like that, but within the context of an application, a product that students know, 
that is where I actually believe a lot of young students are going to interact with AI for the first time or really start to kind of catch on and become invested in using AI type products. I would also say selfishly too, I think YouTube is a tremendous force for learning. I know that there's definitely drawbacks to YouTube as a platform, just like with many other technology. Um, but just that, you know, as a quick example, about two years ago, I had school break and, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of YouTube. I frequently will watch videos on YouTube. I feel like I've learned quite a few things. You know, frankly, I actually learned how to launch and do some basic editing for a podcast, this entire podcast. Uh, I, I learned how to do on YouTube and there's a lot of things that I can obviously improve and do better, but I, I literally knew nothing about what it could take to make a podcast and all of the things I learned from picking the right type of equipment to editing platforms to how to develop content, all of that came from YouTube. Uh, but just as another quick example, you know, I was on school break one particular year and I saw this video on YouTube of a guy, a guy grilling chicken wings in what he called a vortex pattern. And watching that one video just kind of led me on this probably like 20 hour binge over the course of my break where I was just watching all of these videos of this, this gentleman on his channel and then other channels, related channels, where I was learning so many skills, practices, usages, the best grills uh, for how to use a charcoal grill in particular, uh, which was something I never knew how to use. I didn't grow up, my family didn't grow up using a charcoal grill. And it ultimately ended up uh, at the end of that break, me buying a charcoal grill and trying a lot of these new techniques that I had learned. And so I personally love YouTube because there's just such a multitude of both academic as well as like real life skills, I believe you can learn on that platform. There's a lot of things you have to kind of sift through to be able to curate your experience. But if you can kind of find those really high quality channels of those folks out there, those content creators out there who are making really great content, having great conversations, I love the platform. And I do think having these tools are not only going to help a younger demographic learn more about how to use AI, but I also think it's going to hopefully enhance the process for creators to develop even, you know, higher quality content. And we will see even just um, a massive uptick in some of the content that's developed on YouTube, even though the content that I think some channels provided is already so good. So I wanted to be able to share that. Um, I think that's that's really exciting. And we'll, we'll continue to see how some of these uh, tools fully bake out as they continue to add some of these tools to their, their platforms in that way. All right. Now, that being said, I really want to get to to the meat of today's episode. And as I alluded to earlier, that's really around this big question of how I think AI will impact assessments and evaluation. Now, given that this is a uh, podcast for educators, I don't think I really have to spend too much time talking about how critical and how indistinguishable in some ways the assessment and evaluation piece currently is tied to the educational experience sector, at least in the United States. So many accountability measures for how we define public schools, so much of the way that we define success for our students goes back to standardized tests for better or for worse. Students, in many cases, and, and I would argue unfortunately, have become very accustomed to taking multiple standardized exams throughout the year, potentially anywhere from three to five, and that's just in one class, right? So multiply it over multiple core content areas in any given year, they could be looking at it anywhere close to 10 to 15 practice exams, real exams that they may have been taken over the course of the year. And then that's just for the state standardized success. Then you have this whole other gamut of assessments and evaluation we do related to college credit and admissions. We have topics such as AP exams, IB and the IB exams. 
we have the admissions exams like the ACT and the SAT. One thing that has made me really happy, and I'll, I'll post a link to this in the AI education show notes for this upcoming episode, but I do really like the fact that many colleges in particular have gotten away from requiring ACT and SAT exams. There's about 1,700 colleges and counting that have made those exams optional, meaning you could, you could choose to submit scores, but you don't have to. And I lay out, I think, a, a full a gamut of arguments and my experience for why I think that is the case and the op-ed that I will uh, post there. So I won't get too far into that. But all that to say, in the education field today, so much of the way we define an educational experience for students is tied to assessments and evaluation. Knowing that we're this is how the field currently looks today, we're in a field that is so hyper-focused on testing, how do I think AI can make an impact based on the tools that we currently have, and maybe also the, the tools that we don't currently have, but we may have in the future. So on the low end of this, really the low-hanging fruit and thinking about the tools we already have, we're already starting to see how current generative AI tools will impact assessments through things such as tutoring, study services um, that are either adding AI tools already or are built on AI tools. And so let me give a couple examples as to, to what that looks like and how I think that'll, that'll play in. Quizlet. A lot of us know Quizlet. I know my, my wife, when she was studying for some of her um, exams for optometry school, she was, she was on Quizlet looking through a, a bunch of different flashcards that she had developed on there. Uh, but Quizlet is a really well-known online study product, and usually they're known for these kind of flashcard decks that you can sift through for different content areas. Uh, but Qu Quizlet recently announced that they are going to leverage the GPT 3.5 Turbo model which is essentially the engine, I guess you could call it, for uh, what fuels ChatGPT. They're going to use that to create, a, and they have used it to create something called QChat. Essentially what QChat is, and it is in its beta form right now, but what it essentially allows users to do is to go onto Quizlet and to essentially have like a text-like conversation with an AI model, right? So you're texting and it'll start off and say to you, hey, what are you interested in learning in today? Well, I'm interested in learning more about some of the create chemistry. Great. Is there particular topics? Yeah. Balancing chemical equations. Okay. Awesome. Let's start throwing some questions and you can give me the answers and then you can kind of go back and forth on there. So the nice thing about something like QChat is it does allow users to engage in a conversation and answer questions related to what you need to study in, I think like a conversational format, right? Versus like looking at flashcards or feeling very kind of like isolating. It kind of simulates a little bit the experience of working with the tutor. And I think for some students, that is going to be a very helpful format to like further process your learning. So that is like one example that I think is already shaping up very tangibly, something that I think will, uh, if, I think I believe QChat is already live, but something like that I think can catch fire relatively quickly. Another example that I wanted to highlight that is kind of the QChat, but taken out even, even further than this is an example from an MIT tech review article that I checked out on Medium. And I will also post this article in our show notes, I would have, I highly encourage you all to check this out. There was some very interesting uh, just anecdotes and stage setting that MIT, the, the folks at the MIT Tech Review were able to shape up about this. But in particular, they were highlighting how China has been investing significantly in AI education. And some of the big benefactors of this investment have been companies who use AI for personalized tutoring. One of the biggest players in this experience is a company called Squirrel AI Learning. So in particular, as I was reading this article, Squirrel AI, as I could, could figure out, 
they offer many courses in middle and high school subjects where students will start with a short diagnostics test. Usually it's around anywhere from eight to 15 questions. And then based on how they were, they are answering those questions, they will then be assigned to a course that has over 30,000 different knowledge points or parameters as, as certain models have called it, where they're broken out in each courses and it provides students with hyper-focused lessons on skills they should be improving on. As I was looking at what Squirrel AI is doing, in some ways, I do think that this hyper-focused approach is landing positively with students, right? In the article, they do mention how quite a few students, as they were studying for this really critical make-or-break entrance exam that they have in China that really allows students to figure out their pathway after high school or secondary school, called the Gao Kao. It seems like Squirrel AI has been very successful in providing hyper-individualized, hyper personalized responses and um, experiences for students to improve on the skills that they need support with. In the article, there are two students who actually provide their just response and reaction to working with Squirrel AI. And they did mention how they really, really enjoyed how the platform and the experience really responded to their individual needs and what they actually really felt like they needed help with. And it felt like it saved them time from the conventional classroom experience, which is going to go through obviously a lot of different skills, even if you're doing well on some of those things versus only working through and helping you to improve on the things that you need help with. So while the article does highlight how Squirrel AI has been successful in supporting students with improving their performance towards these standardized exams, and really by you know doing this using differentiation, right? And really hyper-personalizing this experience. And it seems to do very well with reinforcing how we traditionally think about education by preparing and driving students towards standardization. We have these standardized exams. This software seems to do really well with getting them ready for those types of things, right? Not really changing the system at all, but really trying to make it more efficient by allowing students to be successful and have more successful tools to do well on the exams and the experience as we know it today. I think the challenge there though, is that it doesn't really lead to any type of education system, school system transformation. It doesn't solve the fact that we have all of these standardized exams and we believe and currently students are taking them, but I think it fundamentally doesn't ask the question, should we actually be asking students to take so many exams? Should we actually be encouraging them to take these exams, how to do it? I think the cha challenge also continues to be, if we continue to have these large standardized tests, we believe that students should know A, B, C, D, E, F things before they move on to whatever their pathway looks like after they graduate from high school. Is that system of standardization actually going to help us to prepare students and young people for a world that continues to rapidly evolve and change. If we really tell them, these are the standardized things you need to learn, this is how the world works, and then they graduate and then they realize the world doesn't work that way, or it's rapidly different than that. So that I think is a challenge fundamentally with the Squirrel AI model, with just using AI as personal tutoring tools. It doesn't quite address the fundamental school transformation element that I believe needs to happen within our education sector to truly create a system that is going to be aligned to developing educational experiences for students that reflect the fact that technology continues to rapidly evolve the world that we live in. Now, again, 
Squirrel AI may not be trying to do this. It may not be their mission. So it's not to suggest that it's not a great tool, but rather it's to say, could we take this further? In that question of thinking about, can we take this further? To what extent can AI actually help us to really transform the way we think about assessments across the board, rather than just trying to make efficient tools to make it easier for us to, to drive into these standardized tests, which as we know, there's a lot of drawbacks to that approach. I think one of the biggest ones is the fact that with standardized exams across many public schools in particular, it leads to tracking, right? It leads to tracking where based on a score that a student may have received on a particular exam, they may be placed in a different course with less resources, less opportunities for them to excel and, and have a higher rigor based on an exam that they have taken over the course of one day. And it may lead to a lack of opportunities for specific groups of students, right, based on a score. And it doesn't necessarily highlight the many other things that that student is bringing in terms of assets and strengths to the world that they will be able to leverage. It only suggests that ABCY skills are important and that all of the other things a student is bringing isn't important. That phenomenon actually, I think, is something that comes up quite a bit. And I know that when I was supporting students individually with the college application process, it's something that they felt and they experienced and they received from the messaging of their educational experience when they were in school. I had a lot of students, in particular, first-generation low-income students who they were probably some of the most resilient, tenacious, and motivated students that I have ever met in my educational career. Young people that if I had to just take bets on in terms of their, their ability to be successful in life after high school and to just do great things to contribute to our society, I would, I would bet heavily on these students. But what I, what I observed too, just about some of their mindsets and the messages they were receiving is that when they were applying to college, oftentimes they felt, I think, very self-critical of themselves. That imposter syndrome started to creep in. And one of the big ways it would start to creep in is because on the activity section of, you know, usually the applications that they had to fill out, whether it was on the common application or a state-specific uh, college application form, oftentimes some of the students I worked with felt very insecure about the fact that either their high school did not offer or they did not take advantage of, you know, a lot of the clubs, a lot of the sports types experiences that they, and, they, and as a result of that, they weren't able to list kind of like I was the president of the debate team or, you know, the captain of my high school football team or any of these things on their application. They may have had a little bit of that, but not enough to, to the extent that they felt like they should. And when you talk to these some of, the, some of these students and you really learn a little bit more about their story, you learn that the reason they couldn't do that is because both of their parents worked long throughout the evening. And the impact of that was some of the uh, students I had to work with had to go home and care for babysit for their younger siblings and cook and clean for them before and you know support them with some of their homework before their parents had come home because their parents worked the night shift. And so it's not like they didn't want to take advantage of some of those things, but they had a family obligation that they needed to work through. In some cases had to overweigh, you know, some of their personal interests and passions that they were helping to do. I had a lot of boys that had mentioned to me that they weren't able to contribute to any of those types of activities because they had to work a job. In some cases I had students that were working two jobs. And they felt very insecure about saying, well, oh, I just, you know, I, I work at this fast food chain or I work at this 
this retail place and they didn't consider that to be on the same playing field as being the captain of, of a club or something like that. And it's very unfortunate that that's the message that they receive because in some cases, those experiences are even more uh, meaningful and there's even more skills that you can actually take away that would help you in life after high school that they just weren't seeing at that moment. And I think what concerns me, so kind of taking this experience and now translating it to this assessment and evaluation process, what concerns me about the way that we currently do assessments and evaluation, and then what I think is one of the the scary potentials with leveraging AI to do assessments as well is these biases are inherently baked into the way that we do evaluations and assessments as well. And as we know, AI is AI is is built on data sets. AI is built on parameters, and so all of those hidden biases, all of those hidden preferences that we have within our data sets that suggest that some skills or some experiences are more important than others, those things are going to continue to be true in data sets unless we really, really are doing some thoughtful interrogation about the equitable practices and the way that we treat equity within some of these systems to ensure that we are trying to create a level playing field as much as possible for students so that students don't feel that way. But that being said, I know that that was a little bit of a big tangent there and we'll, I think, dive into that a little bit further here. But I, I do think that's one of the things that I'm holding in particular with assessments and evaluation, which is obviously something that is can be so sensitive. And it's also such a charged topic because there are assessments and evaluations have so many impacts on students within the trajectory of not just their outcomes, but their educational experience based on some of these like very imperfect assessments. That being said, when we think about to what extent AI can actually transform the way we think about assessments and education, rather than just perpetuating this like continued track of standardized exams, I found this really interesting piece by a Vancouver educator named Keith Rispin that I want to shed a little bit of light on. Rispin, he talks a little bit about how what he thinks the AI education endgame is, is a world where we are able to use AI to where every single student has what he describes as a PEAI, and that stands for a personal education AI. And essentially, this personal education AI would catalog, weigh, and measure all of the work that a student is doing across their K-12 journey, and then it would determine if it exceeds, meets, or is developing towards grade level based on each one of those individual assignments. Now, Rispin, what he also talks about in this article, and again, I'm going to link this in the show notes, I de definitely would encourage the read. I thought it was a really interesting take on how we might be able to use AI in particular within assessments. He talks about how the PEAI will be able to identify also areas for improvement. It'll be able to consider individual strengths. It could be, it'll also be able to look into create creativity level, original idea, and also biases in thinking. The AI could also look for red flags, which could indicate learning problems or potential mental health issues and alert educators and parents of problems that should be monitored. By the time the students hit grade 12 graduation, their personal PEAI will have built a perfect portfolio of that individual's skills and academic abilities. And then when it comes to supply for further education, the student will uh, be able to submit their PEAI generated profile to the admissions office of their chosen institutions and their acceptance or rejection 
will be based on this profile. So that is that is kind of like the vision as he's outlined it. Um, I will say that beyond some of the kind of pieces he's mentioned there for how it potentially impacts the student's experience, he also talks a little bit about the way that it'll impact students or, or excuse me, teachers on this journey. And so beyond providing a cohesive, comprehensive outlook for students or on a student, I should say, for teachers, it'll also take a significant amount of workflow off of having to do assessments with, with students. And, you know, again, that'll open up some more time for teachers to be able to focus on doing some of the analysis of the results that the PAEAI is uh, showing. And it'll also give them time to be able to diagnose and improve some of those, those skill gaps that they're noticing. I would also say too, that having some type of tool that allows you to see very clearly and cohesively students work over time, over multiple grades would be really cool. I know that when I was an eighth grade teacher at the beginning of the year, we would always be given kind of these like profiles with a few key assignments from their seventh grade year uh, for some of the work. But in some cases it was really challenging to read it may have also been really challenging to really understand the teachers, the prior teacher's perspective on how it was working with that student. Now, the challenge there is obviously you don't want to let too much of a prior teacher's opinion uh, reflect your opinion or perspective on that student. But if there is a way that AI can provide some really objective insights on a student's growth over time based on the work that they're producing and how it aligns to specific skills, I do think that's something that would be really helpful and it, it would allow students to know the academic current strengths and current areas for growth for students like more quickly. And, you know, and oftentimes a lot of that is just developed through teacher building relationships with students and then some of the assignments that they start to put out there initially. Now, this is obviously, I think Risman is, is he very much says like this is an aspirational goal. This is the educational end game. This isn't something that you know, it's probably going to happen in the next year or so. So I'm with them on that. I don't think that any of the current technology that I've seen gets us close to being able to do this right now. But that being said, what I find very interesting about the AI innovation kind of timeline versus other prior technology is it seems to be going faster. So we may not be as far off from something like this as, as we think we are. That being said, he also highlights some of the barriers for a world with these PEAIs, you know, including privacy and access concerns is some of the, the biggest things, right? The fact that in a lot of these, we would obviously be sharing very sensitive and critical student information, student data with these AI models. And there's definitely some privacy concerns associated with that, things that we would have to get right to ensure that these systems are not vulnerable to outside challenges there. So there, you know, it, student data is very, very sensitive. And in all educational spaces, you know, there is absolutely protections in place, in particular, even when I, in my experience, have worked with college partners and we are talking about maybe some of the high school students that we serve, we would always have to have FERPA signed, which is a form that provides essentially that provide, it ensures that the student and the parent are providing permission for the educators to be able to talk data, very specific data about students. And so there's definitely going to be a lot of data logistical hurdles that districts will have to work through to create something like this, but I don't think it's it's impossible. And then I think beyond the privacy concern, we then also had a concern around access, which I also totally agree with, which is, so having something like a PEAI, it obviously means that school districts, schools, 
students have to have access to technology, right? If they don't have access to technology, they're not going to be able to submit assignments for this. Schools are not going to be able to analyze. I do think that in the last couple of years, our society has taken a big jump as it relates to access and technology across even rural versus suburban versus urban school districts. Likely, though, there's still a lot of work to do. And really, for something like this to exist, it does feel like we have to be closer to having technology more ubiquitously across all of our school districts and for every single student in a one-to-one device situation. And, and again, not even just technology, but also to equitable Wi-Fi access, right? Internet access and in certain places that can also be a really big challenge as well. And then I think beyond both of those challenges, I think the other big concern that I alluded to a little bit earlier, and I think Rispin also brings up is, you know, the ethics involved with this is like, just because we can do it, does it mean we should do it? I think my take on this question, as I, w- as I was describing a little bit earlier, is I think it's a little bit mixed. And the reason I say that it's mixed is because in some ways, I do think if AI and technology can really finally push us as an education sector to transform and foundationally adapt the way that our school system looks so that the experience for students is one that is more individualized to them. It encourages them to take ownership of their educational journey. And it more opens up the possibility and values and encourages the fact that other things beyond these conventional topics and subjects that we have deemed important could be valued within that experience, such as more vocational training, such as an, an, an increased emphasis on social emotional skills and you know, traits as for how students are collaborating with each other. If we can uh, drive closer to a system system on that, if we can drive closer to a system where we have deeper context as educators and as schools on how to help students and how to empower students to unlock their potential and how to help them grow, then I think from that perspective, having something like PEAIs sounds really promising to me. I, you know, in many ways, it sounds very similar to uh, my experience supporting special needs students, where each of those students would have what's called an IEP, an individualized education plan. And what I really appreciated about that process is that I knew that there was going to be multiple times throughout the year where I was sitting down with parents and a special needs coordinator and myself as one of their core content teachers with the child. And we would be having conversations about what their experience in class was like, what are some things that we could be doing to ensure that they're they're learning and that they're feeling engaged in class and documenting those things and then having that awareness about some of the tools that you can build out for students in class. And I really appreciated those conversations because it provided a lot of clarity. In many ways, if creating a PEAI is allowing us to create a similar type IEP for every student now. It's like it's it's like ensuring that every student has an individual plan, not just some of our special needs students. I love that. I think that's great. And I think that'll really ensure that we as educators and educators across the country and really across the world can better support their students. I do also tangibly see how these types of supports, such as having a PEAI, could actually reduce the workload on teachers so that instead of doing a lot of grading, instead of doing a lot of 
assessment building because a lot of times as a teachers you have to build your own assessments you have to grade them you have to do all of those types of workflows and that takes up a lot of their time if now you can spend a lot of your time building relationships with students you can spend more time designing mini lessons which can help students increase their skills and those skills whether it's like the academic skills that are being diagnosed by the PEAI or it's lessons related to very critical life skills that we are currently not doing a lot of assessment on, but I think really important, such as, again, like those social emotional skills, such as qualities you need to develop to be successful, regardless of your future vocation, such as resilience, curiosity, teamwork, those types of things. I think if we can have a role where the teacher is doing more of that, this feels like a really great way to transform our system and to use AI and technology to drive closer to that. I think, though, what concerns me about this technology, like I was alluding to a little bit earlier, is the fact that I definitely can see ways that having AI deeply embedded in particular into the way that we do assessments can reinforce a lot of the inequities that currently exist in our education system. You know, I already provided the example earlier about how this may come up in college access and how students receive that message for how certain experiences or certain qualities matter more than others and how they receive those messages. But I would say that beyond that, here's a lot of other things we know are true. We know that it, it's it's absolutely true today that in the United States today, students of color, in particular Black and Latino males, are disproportionately suspended and they are placed in lower rigorous courses. They're placed on individual educational plans in way higher rates relative to their white affluent peers. We know this is true. And with that being said, if AI models are taking data sets with where some of these inequity exists, such as the one that I mentioned there, such as the college access one I mentioned earlier, that AI model may actually start to build in biases as to how it is responding or treating certain students based on not just the work that it's producing, but potentially based on the data sets that I have and the other markers that it may know about the students. So I can definitely imagine situations that I'm, I'm really leaning into my college access had here just because of my experience, but I think there's likely a lot of other experiences where this plays out, but I can definitely imagine instances where if an AI model even had two comparable students, let's say it had, you know, one student that came from kind of a white affluent background, had a two parent household, was a non first generation student. And then you have a student of color who maybe is coming from a single family household who maybe, uh, is first-generation college student as well. And even if their work is very comparable, even if there's like a, a similar type of experiences there, based on some of the biases that are currently built into the system and how students today are absolutely being messaged their life, I could definitely see how a system like this could suggest on, on an aptitude test or in sub on some type of recommendation piece how potentially the white student is prepared and ready for the more rigorous academic vocation, such as like an engineering, while the other student should be in kind of uh, a less educated or a less trained vocation, such as like being a mechanic. And how, even though they have similar type of academic work products, there could be different messaging for each of those students about their types of vocations after high school based on the implicit biases that exist within our education system today. Now, again, that's not to suggest that to be a mechanic is lesser than than being an engineer. Absolutely not. That's not what I'm suggesting. But what is absolutely true in our education system today is that at a lot of large urban public institutions, 
there is like an overemphasis currently on vocational training, vocational training, encouraging students to go to two-year options, encouraging them to be in a lot of these more hands-on type technical vocations, which I don't disagree with at all. I think that's great. The challenge though, is that if you now go to any affluent private school in America and you see that the students' experiences there, they're not talking about vocational education there. They're not talking about welding mechanics, doing any of those things. They're talking about going to some of the selective colleges, the most selective colleges in the United States. And the problem that I have is why is it that at this particular school, they're only hearing this type of message and at the, this other school, they're hearing a very different type of message. The AI potentially within the data sets that it receives will pick on, pick up to this hidden curriculum that exists and potentially start to explain some of those messages in a certain way as well. And what I'm saying is that if we can get to a system where the AI is able to, in a very objective way, be able to share a multitude of different options or a multitude of different skill sets and really value, value multiple experiences, not just experiences that we consider the successful kind of aptitude type experiences, the conventional schooling. I'm in the debate team. I'm in these clubs. I'm in these, these I've done well on AP exams, but is really able to look at some of these non-conventional experiences that are just as equally important and actually do impact a lot of the students that we've had uh, going through our educational system today, then I do have hope that the AI system might actually even do better than how many of us as humans are doing where we implicitly have some of our biases and are working with students in that way. You know, fundamentally, I do think there's a lot of pieces to flesh out here. I don't think that, personally, I don't think that we're close to a system of PEAIs, but I do absolutely think that the idea of driving towards a hyper-personalized system of education where we partner with students and families to own their educational experience. We don't uh, limit their experiences. We really try to encourage them to embrace their cultural, their experiential capital, and to use those things to find a life after high school that is going to be most valuable for the student and also really contribute to our society. That's fundamentally, I think, what we all want to do as educators and what we all want to provide. I think if we can use AI to sew together more cohesive pictures of students' work over time, how their how their educational experiences look like, how they're going through this, I think this this especially could be really cool if this system was potentially a national system, and in particular for some of our more transient students who've had to move a lot from school to school, and unfortunately sometimes their academic ratings, their markings, their uh, student work is not coming with them. Being able to have something like a PEA that, that goes with students regardless of the score of the district that they move to could be a really cool way to get a historical breakdown of a student's experience, even there, some of their strengths. But I think if we can use these tools for good, if we can actually use it to fundamentally break away from a system of tracking, not perpetuate it, not use a fancy new tool, use fancy new technology to do the same exact thing where we continue to track students and create less and more rigorous options based on that. Then in that particular world, I do think that this is something worth exploring. I do think this is something that could be something that is fundamentally great for our system today. Well, I'm curious to hear from you all. What do you think? What do you think about PEAIs? How do you think we should be bringing AI to our assessment and evaluation processes? Please share your thoughts with me on Twitter at the AI Ed Combo, um, and I'll see you next week.